0: Welcome to the Cash Flow Guys podcast. Welcome to the Cash Flow Guys podcast. It's that time again. You should know where you are. This is Tyler Chef, and I am one part of the Cash Flow Guys. My partner in crime is with us, Mikey. Here, we're here from Colorado again. Yeah. All right, man. How is the weather out there? It's it's today. It's it's all the way down to sixty in Florida.
1: <laughs> I laugh whenever you say that. I think it's, <laughs> I think it's like twenty two out right now. It feels great. Right
0: now. <laughs> Hey, are you cold enough
1: it. where the dog won't go outside
0: and potty? <laughs> <laughs> Don't eat the yellow snow, Tyler. Exactly. That's you're from my, my Florida. You're not still. used to that. <laughs> Well, we have a special guest today. I'm pretty excited. As you guys know, we've started our real estate syndication this past year, learned a lot, and we got an asset, and we're thinking about potentially building that out as a living facility, running it, building it to an operator, because what we've learned is that we're really good at real estate, and uh, that's what we like to do. That's our comfort zone. That's where we want to be, and that's what helps us scale. And in that process of deciding, is this asset, uh, does it make sense as, as a assisted living facility, we start reaching out to the experts. And I have probably the expert on the show this week is why beat around the bush? Why not just go right to the top of the, of the food chain and figure this out? Uh, with us today is Isabel Guarino. And I got that right, didn't I, Isabel? Got it right. Yeah. Okay. See, because with a last name like chef, I'm used to my name getting slaughtered. So I'm, <laughs> I tried real hard to, to get it right. So Isabel's the chief operating officer at the residential assisted living Academy. The Ariel Academy teaches how to build, buy, and then operate residential assisted living homes. They've trained people across the country to turn the single family homes into cash flow machines. That got my attention. And Isabel, you, I'm from the mom I started in the single family space I gravitated over to multifamily and now we're we own, we bought a single family home and part of the reason why we did that is it's got it's big it's 3500 square foot it's got lots of bedrooms got a great deal on it nice lot right neighborhood best location started looking at okay we'll convert it over to multifamily city said no you won't even though <laughs> (laughs) We get our legal teams involved. They still say, no, you're not doing that. So we start looking at what can you do? And they don't necessarily like to fill in the blanks, as I'm sure you know. And we're going to talk more about zoning in here as we get further into the episode. But one of the strategies that the city of Tarpon Springs, which is where this house is looking, absolutely loves is residential assisted living. And that light bulb, Mike and I, our light bulb went off. We're like, we need to figure that out. And of course, if you guys go into Google right now, sitting at home, pull over your car, type residential assisted living into Google. The first thing you're going to see is you as well.
2: <laughs>
0: So you're killing it. Marketing love that. And you have built this business. You're, it's a family business that you guys have started many years ago, started with your dad passed on to you and whatnot, your brothers, I believe. And uh, now you have the residential assisted living Academy. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about that. And we'll start with who's the ideal. Who do you feel you guys have trained I've lost count on how many people I've talked to that are former students of yours. Well, I shouldn't say former because it's a lifelong process. Learning, they're addicted to what you guys put out. I think that's exciting. You don't see that a lot. I learned about you guys. I met your dad through the real estate guys. I'm huge fans of them. You, of course, know them both. Who's best suited in your mind to run this type of business, to be like an operator for residential assisted living?
2: Great question. I think that there's really two categories of people, but there's one common trait. OK, the two categories would be real estate investors, people who are sick of fix and flips. Airbnbs aren't working out for them anymore. Maybe they you know, are tired of dealing with the tenants and apartments or whatever the case may be. A tired real estate investor is one category. And the second is a medical professional, maybe someone who's making good money, but doesn't really know what to do with it and wants to start investing in a new and different way. But the one common trait that I see of our successful students is grit. You have to have grit in this industry. You have to be able to get punched in the face and get back up and keep going because there's going to be a lot of roadblocks and no's and you can't do this here. And no matter who you are, where you come from, if you don't have that, it's really not going to work in your favor.
0: That's, That's good advice. I like that. People sometimes get into real estate not realizing that that grit is a very important element. And, and you're right. There's a lot of strategies you can go through that don't really require a lot of grit to be successful. You can you know, fix and flip houses. you got a good contractor. They do most of the work. You hire a good broker to sell it. Off you go to the races. And you know, half the people are buying off the shelf anyway for the market. Doesn't take a whole lot of talent to buy something from a realtor um, if you're going to fix and flip. But you get into these specialty things. You're absolutely right. Especially we get into zoning and all the laws and whatnot. What I'm seeing is over the last decade, especially, and uh, it's been, in my opinion, nearly impossible to buy a single family home. And I'm going to say air quotes, honestly cash flow and folks at home. You're probably wondering, what does honestly cash flow mean? We tend to think because every deal we do is a great one. But in reality, sometimes you don't realize that it's not making you money. It's costing you money after the fact. I see situations where people go out and spend $300,000 on a house and they rent it for $2,000 to find out. Oh, I'm making $2,000 a month. Well, I, that's cool. But you forgot about the mortgage, the taxes, the insurance, the property manager, the all the expenses, the water heater at 2 a.m. Residential assisted living changes that game. To, that's what I'm seeing, that perspective. Can you shed some light on that as far as... I know in your training and a lot of it, because we follow you on social media as well, which you do a great job on, by the way. You're talking about we can get a real estate investor that buys the asset, leases it to an operator. Yeah. And in some cases, double market rent.
2: Yeah. That's yeah.
0: Amazing. So why would an operator be willing to pay double market rent?
2: Typically, what we see when someone owns the real estate and you're leasing it to the operator, the person who owns the real estate has retrofitted. They've renovated it, made it ready to go for assisted living. So the operator might not be cash heavy, right? They may not have any experience in real estate. So your listeners and people like you who are very experienced in real estate and know what you're doing can take a property and renovate it to whatever you want it to be. And when you make it perfect for assisted living, adding in ramps and gardens Rails, you know, widening hallways and doorways, making private bedrooms and private bathrooms, and just making it senior safe and accessible. Now that operator would be willing to pay you for the work you've done because the home is ready to go. They can move their business in right away, and you're saving them a lot of time and energy and money and stress. Especially when there's someone who might not have real estate experience. So it's kind of a really good partnership in that way. It's almost the sweat equity and you know, the person who's doing all that uh, be, being the money factor, more or less at the end right. of the day.
1: So, Isabel, on the same theme. So if somebody somebody has a large single family house and they yeah. can't cash flow it, the city shut their Airbnb down, which is happening a lot around the country right now. <laughs> how How do they get the experience? How do they know exactly how to transform, convert this house to an assisted living friendly place?
2: Well, there's a lot of different tips and tricks, but each state will provide some form of rules and regulations on what you should and shouldn't do and what you must do. Typically, the rules are really low, like they're saying like 80 to 100 square feet per person. and. Like, that's tiny. Like, that's tiny. So, we suggest 300 to 500 square feet per person. So, if you had 10 residents in the home, minimum a 3,000 square foot home, upwards of 5,000. The state will also give you usually a limit on how many residents you can have in the bedroom. Maybe they'll say two is the max or four is the max. We suggest, again, you do mostly private bedrooms and bathrooms. So you can follow your state rules and regulations, or you can come to like a specialty training course like ours where we're giving you those higher standards, those above and beyond type of rules that we're saying, hey, if you follow this. Not only will you tick off your state rules, but you're going to be the nicest home in the area. So when daughter Judy comes to tour, she's going to want your home by far and above because she walks in. She's like, this is grandiose. This is luxury. I'm willing to pay that extra thousand bucks a month because this feels good.
0: I like that you're providing your, this is a niche product. You're not, I think of, I don't know if you ever saw the show Seinfeld, but there's one episode where, the uh, i can't think of his name now the goofy guy he's got some japanese tourists that are coming to town and they couldn't get their hotel so he puts them in a dresser like they're all lined up in a dresser and i i've seen even in our own town i went and toured a couple of other facilities they're not students of yours obviously but um it's i felt like people were stacked in there like you say 80 to 100 square foot it's like that's literally how it was there was room for a bed and maybe a dresser that was really a nightstand that <laughs> was like, wow, they have no place to go. So you're you're more premium product. You're providing You're here's why I love about this, because as a real estate investor, one of the things I think about a lot is risk. Mm-hmm. If I put somebody in there, that's not the person that's paying me. What I understand, is that correct? Yes. Their children generally, okay. or their long-term care policy or whatever, or a combination thereof is who's actually paying me. They are my that is my tenant or my lessee. Uh, in this case, if we're getting legal about it. So logic would dictate that I want to make sure if I'm going to charge somebody a couple thousand dollars a month for a bed that that person can afford to pay the rent. Yeah, And I see these facilities to where I see them here in Florida, where it's half of what you're, you talk about the national average being. And I walk in there and I'm going, I wouldn't live here, even if I was in the army in the dorm. This is more like a navy uh, submarine in here than it is residential assisted living. But then I I see your facilities and pictures of, of the stuff your homes that you guys have done and your students have done. It's night and day. So is it fair to assume that when you're you're putting out a better product, you're automatically going to attract a different type of clientele? Is that is that true?
2: One hundred percent, because you have to think you wouldn't sign up to put your loved one in a care home for six grand a month if you c- couldn't even imagine paying that. Like you're, right. you're just not going to drop your loved one off there and be like, I don't know how we're going to do this, but we'll make it work. You're not. You're going to try to make any ends meet to get the lowest cheapest option possible, typically government funding or the least amount out of your own pocket, right? But the people who are looking for the higher-end homes, it's actually interesting. Their mentality is almost the opposite. They want to pay the most possible because they feel so guilty, typically, and so bad that they're like... That one's five, but this one's seven. I almost want to put her in the $7,000 a month one because I, I want to be like, mom, I gave you the best. I did the best I could, and I really tried. And it's crazy how uh, guilt plays a strong role with- <laughs> in this industry. <laughs>
0: well, I like that because at the end of the day, it provides for better care. Mm -hmm. it provides, you know, can you imagine, I I have a tough time with 300 square foot. I shouldn't say that. I live in Key West now. So 300 square foot is huge in Key West, but (laughs) I I also own other homes. (laughs) That's the only reason 300 square foot makes sense in Key West, which is why I'm not there at the moment. But um, at the end, you're providing a better product. So you're attracting a better uh, leasee. You're not having to chase after them for this month's rent. Let's get talk about the, that was the good. Let's just, one little thing, what happens if, I mean, is it, do you run into, does it happen a lot that people don't pay or do you teach to vet your people up front? I mean, is that really a thing in this space?
2: Great question. It is definitely a thing in the lower end homes, homes that are charging below average, but because right. we're always encouraging like in our class, we talk about level one through five and like if, if break, not break even if national average is, really at that two to three level, I always want people to do level three, four, and maybe even a level five home. So definitely above average, but in the, in, in our homes, it's really, really interesting to note this. People always ask that, oh my gosh, what happens if they just drop mom off and then they never pay again and I can't get in contact with them and yada, yada, yada. At that point in a senior's life, someone is the, the P of A, the, the power of attorney, right? The, the go-to person. And if they do not pay, it is illegal. So you actually call oh. the cops. They get arrested for elder abuse. Oh, it, my God yep, it is not an issue at all because wow that and when they get when they when everything's been signed over to them and they're the ones in charge, that's part of kind of what's happening there. So it's really simple. It's like, hey, you didn't pay on the first Well, you have till the fifth until your late notice and on the sixth we call the cops because <gasps> now go to jail. It has never happened in 10 years of running three homes wow. ever. I mean, people have been late, of course. Sure, but things happen. Never has anyone just not paid at that price point and with the severity of what it actually means.
0: Wow, that's so that option. eliminates that eliminates like ninety five percent of vacancy loss. And I understand with an RAL, you've got medical reasons and unfortunately death that would constitute vacancy. But it sounds like you don't really have vacancy loss for any other reason, like non pay or whatnot. That's that to me is the that is the game changer, wow. folks at home. Are you hearing this? If you, those of you that live in the state of Illinois, better yet, Cook County. How about where you can't evict a tenant that doesn't pay their rent when it's cold outside at all? And but of course, you can explain to Bank of America why you can't cover your mortgage payments. They don't really want to hear about that. But you know, it's 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 that's unbelievable to me that business model. And it's good because it holds people accountable to make sure that because the laws are written not to protect you as the as the operator, really. It's yeah. to protect the uh, resident. Am I yeah. using the term correctly? Resident,
2: yeah, resident, senior. Okay. Yep, it's a hundred percent. It's about them. It's not about. It's definitely not for you. The government right. does not care about us landlords.
0: <laughs> exactly, exactly. So when we talk about picking areas, we want to we want to do this. Are we looking for like some something like kind of industrial, residential? What area makes sense? I mean, obviously, we don't want to be in the hood and in, in places like that. But are we looking? Focusing primarily on residential or commercial?
2: The number one thing that I look for, no matter if it's the perfect house in the whole wide world, is demographics. If the demographics are proper, I wouldn't even look at the home. And what I mean by that is you have to be surrounded by an average or overwhelming population of 50 to 70-year-olds who are upper middle class who are typically homeowners making twice the median income. So if that is who's surrounding, then that's where I want to start looking. And definitely I lean towards residential. That way you don't have to rezone it or do anything in that regard. Because once you get into commercial, now you're competing against the big boxes, the Brookdale Sunrise Atrium. And you have to have commercial kitchens and fire suppression and all sorts of different things that you don't have to have when you're playing in the residential game. So demographics, staying in residential, obviously a larger footprint, depending on where you are in the country, you're typically allowed to have between six to 16 residents in the home. So once you know your number of maximum residents, you're going to want a larger home. That way, you you're either your renovations aren't that crazy, right? If the home's already 6,000 square feet, maybe it's only six bedrooms now, but you could chop it up differently to turn it into a 10-bedroom home. I see. Um, Instead of starting with something that's like two thousand or three thousand, now you need to add a two or three thousand square foot addition. that's a lot more challenging. So something with a larger footprint, more bedrooms and bathrooms, honestly, preferably more bathrooms because they're harder to you know deal with yeah. and make more bedrooms. that's a lot easier. Right. Um, and then just a good part of town in general, like you want it to be in a nice part of town. You could tear a house down and build the Taj Mahal, but if it's in the ghetto, it's mm. in the ghetto. Right. Right? Nobody wants yeah. to drop grandma off there. No. <laughs> so you want to make sure it's in a good spot and that you feel comfortable and safe driving in and out of there because that's the experience you want to give to the seniors, loved ones as they're coming and going.
0: That's that's good advice. Isabel,
1: so obviously you mentioned we want to keep it in a residential area. I didn't think that if it was in a commercial zoned area, we actually have different rules. What we're finding uh, in our town of Florida, where our place is, we've talked to the city. They said, oh, if you have six beds, no problem, go ahead. Any more than six, that's kind of like the new hurdle where we have to get some type of zoning variance whatnot. Could conditional you, use, yeah. Conditional yeah. use variance, yeah. Uh, Isabel, can you talk about like any hurdles to get above that threshold in each state? I know it's a little bit different.
2: Yes, every state is a little different. And sometimes your state, like I want to say the state of Florida, the rule is actually 12. But then a lot of counties are six or eight from what I've seen. So there's certain parts where you might go right outside that county and it's 12 now. But right where your home is might be limiting you to six. In California, it was limited to six for like ever, for like years that I've seen just maybe six months ago, they lifted it and brought it to 10 if you add fire suppression. And I was like, woohoo, this is amazing, except for the fact that in California, real estate's expensive. So having six people at a home, you could get a five bed, four bath all day and not even have to do it much renovation to it at all. So I wasn't really ever mad about a state saying six. So if your area does say six, it's like you might not have the, the real estate might be significantly cheaper because you don't really have to do much to it. Um, if you're in Texas where your limit is 16, you're never going to find that on the market. You have sure. to build custom from the ground up or do a massive renovation or buy an existing. I mean, there's, there's so many pros and cons. So if your limit is six, yes, there's things you can possibly do apply for a variance, you know, fight legally to get more, say, Hey, we have X amount of square feet with this, is how many bedrooms we have, can we, you know, bump it up? And sometimes you'll win and sometimes you won't, but if you do have six, I would go luxury or I would go memory care. Memory care charges an additional $500 to $1,500 per person per month um, because it's a higher level of licensing. Your caregivers have more training and licensing, and the physical home has to have extra things like different locks and different doors mm. um, so they're, so you're able to get more per resident and as I always say, with memory care, you're going to be dealing with it one way or the other. <laughs> might as well get paid for it. <laughs> right?
0: wow. I think if they left me alone too long, they might keep me in one of those memory care really facilities. Oh <laughs> <laughs> it's like, no, no, I own the place. I got You got to let me out. Where's the key?
1: <laughs> I, I just want to help the listeners with the, with the picture. So my girlfriend's a nurse practitioner. She travels all ALFs across the country. She does yeah. dermatology work for them. And she comes back i everybody thinks it's like a nursing home where it's white walls and very sterile environment she said it's like it's almost like a college dorm i mean there's events going on all the time they bring in like the local historian the balloon maker it's a big party and it's funny because when we walk around town and we see an older person trying to stay in their old house that they've had for millennia and that they don't want to leave. She feels bad for them because she's like, they don't understand. ALFs, it's it's actually a fun place to live. Yeah,
2: yeah. I, I agree. We do a lot of activities in the home, senior yoga, pet therapy, music, like all sorts of fun stuff. And I think that they are definitely having more social interaction and fun Right. Then a senior who's living alone, like they're not having any activities. People come to their house for sure. No stimulating conversations. I'll tell you a story. When I, when my dad first got into the industry, he was like, Hey, you were in a sorority in college. And I know that the fraternities and sororities have to do X amount of community service hours. Do you think you could put our homes on the list of of options? I was like, (laughs) Oh, yeah, for sure. So I go into one of my chapter meetings and I tell the girls, like, hey, we own this care home. It's down the road. Would anybody want to come and say hi to the seniors and just hang out? I'll sign your community service hours. Like 30 girls were like, oh my gosh. <laughs> so I, I'm like, okay, Friday, you know, at one o'clock, everybody come. On that Friday, I walked in like 18 hot little sorority girls to this home, and every little grandpa was like, What's happening? Poor old man. So excited. (laughs) And the girls, most of them are from out of state. You know, they haven't seen their family or their grandparents in a long time. And they were excited to hang out with the seniors. They were painting the ladies nails and doing puzzles and coloring books and just chatting. And the seniors loved it because it was someone new and different to talk to and an interaction. And they didn't know who they were. And the girls were like, can we come back? And it was completely free. And it was an activity for the seniors and the girls got their credit. And we ended up starting like a whole partnership with it. And it's so cute. So there's a lot of opportunity where if you're living alone as a senior, you're just not going to get that social interaction at all.
0: What do you find about you, – you, I re, just finished reading your dad's book called Silver Tsunami. And for those sitting at home wondering what what does that mean, it talks about the opportunity that exists in the industry. And one of the things that we look at is sustainability, how sustainable is this access strategy. And here's a good example. I own short-term rentals and several of those Um And they do very, very well. But and uh, however, we've been at it for many years. So we get most of our business from our advertising and repeat guests and whatnot. So we already kind of have a baked in business model. When as we head towards recessionary times, people are having a tough time financially. People have said to me, well, aren't you worried about your short-term rentals? I'm really not because of who I serve. I serve business travelers and people that are coming. Tarpon Springs is a very family-oriented community where I own my vacation rentals. Um, It's Greek community, so there's a lot of Greeks in there. They are very family oriented, and they live all over the country. But you know, yeah, yeah, the grandma lives in in Tarpon Springs, so they converge in Tarpon Springs throughout the year because to them, they they don't just wait for Thanksgiving and Christmas to see their their parents, their grandparents. They come home all the time, and they come to our place. We're located right there in the perfect spot in Tarpon Springs, close to everything, and whatnot. So it works very well. I don't feel like the business model that we've built in uh, in uh, the Airbnb model, I don't feel it's as affected by recessionary times as maybe a lot of the new folks that are out there. Yeah. How does that equate to silver tsunami? Recession's coming. I'm thinking to myself, well, if I'm paying six thousand dollars a month for for my mom to have a place to stay, how does that factor in? Do you have concerns about that coming forward, or are we just dealing with a different? economic group of people that really are kind of insulated from a lot of the recessionary stuff that's going on. Any thoughts on that?
2: Yeah, it's really, it's, it's interesting that this time is coming ahead of us and yet we're not seeing it affected affecting our markets really at all. And I think that it's because of the fact that with an Airbnb, for example, when money is tight you pull back, you vacation right. less, you don't buy right. those luxury items, those extra cars and boats and whatever it is. You're not vacationing as much so the vacation Airbnb spots are struggling, right? Because people aren't doing that as much. Um I also think in tough times, people usually work more, not less. So the only other real option for the 6 grand a month Airbnb is a 2 grand a month Airbnb or you quit your job. And right. you t- Care of mom or dad 24/7. And people aren't quitting their jobs right now. They're getting a second job, a third job. They're working harder and more. So there's really, I don't think it's something that you just skimp on, even when times are tough. You're right. pulling back on everything else, but your loved ones, home, care, food, assistance, you won't unless you're planning on quitting your job and taking care of them, which most people aren't doing during. Right. So it's really kind of a non-issue.
0: Trend I'm seeing come coming in in our local town as I look at the demographics based on your training and I, I dig in, I'm, our market is perfect for this. And what I'm finding is there is a huge shortfall. There are not nearly enough beds to keep up with the demand. Demand, the curve between demand and supply is off the chain. There is tons of demand, virtually no supply. Um, and I'm seeing that people are, there really isn't a boutique type higher end product available in our town, which is interesting because our average income is almost hundred grand in, in our area. I mean, it's the parameters you give. And then I apply that to our town. I'm like, oh, then we're a flipping home run. <laughs> so that's exciting. Yeah. But I wonder, is that it, in your experience, is that nationwide in, in RAL? Do you find that I feel like it's a higher level of commitment. If I'm going to put my mom in a place, I'm not going to move her again. God cool. forbid. Because it's traumatizing, imagine, to the the resident to, oh, well, geez, mom, how do I say to my mom, (laughs) mom, I can't afford to put you here, so I'm going to put you in this closet over here. How do you do that? You don't. So is it fair to say that it is absolutely a higher level of commitment from the tenant that's paying the rent once they're in and they've made this decision that they're going to do the two, three jobs if that's what it takes? Have you seen that across the country pretty much?
2: You know, People are paying for their care through long-term care insurance, which about 10% of the population has, so not right. very much. VA benefits. If someone served even one day in active duty, it can help uh, support them or their spouse. Um, a lot of people are using the senior has some cash, some IRA, some savings, or they had a physical property that they now sold and all that capital is being used to pay for the care needs. So you have to think, That is also the adult child's inheritance money that's going away. So, yes, the average uh, stay in an assisted living home is about 3.5 years. So three and a half years. So at $4,500 a month on average, that's a lot of money. Um, And most families have one wealthy child who it will then fall to if the adult, if the you know senior did, didn't have the money, they didn't have a home, they didn't have any of these things. So it's interesting because sometimes uh, the 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 money is coming from the senior, but in a different way. Things have already been turned over to the adult child basically. And now this is their inheritance money that's basically being spent To pay for the care you are very 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 on the money with the supply and demand stuff it's not just your market right now the silent generation is who's living in assisted living and there's only 44 million of them the baby boomers 76 million so we're almost double and we are currently 1.3 million beds short in america today 1.3 short yep whoa and they're only projecting that we're building about 50,000 beds per year. So we cannot keep up with what's about to happen. Like I always tell people, if you had a crystal ball in 2008, would you have played differently? And everyone's right. like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm like, this is that. Like, right. Right take your piece of the pie. I don't care if you want to get involved in diapers or medical beds or long-term care insurance, whatever it is. For me, it's residential assisted living, but it's like, get involved in something that's going to be needed by the baby boomers because they're going to need a lot. And there's nothing there to support this massive silver tsunami, right? This massive that's going to hit the shore.
0: That's unbelievable. Ding, ding, ding. It's here. It's time to go. <laughs> Quit coming up with excuses and get out there and do it. Absolutely. That's what I say on the show all the time to people. They're probably sick of hearing it. Um, wow. That's, that's interesting. Did you have something to add, Mike?
1: Yeah, Tyler. Well, uh, Isabel. So in our whole market research, uh, Tyler is down on the ground. He was in Tarpon Springs for a while and he went to visit some of the, the local uh, ALFs, residential assisted livings. That are houses converted, and so he had kind of first hand experience of our competition, I guess you would call it, but the local market. And uh, Tyler, I would love if you could share what you experienced there because it's not exactly what we thought from the uh, the training. But of course, not everybody has attended your training, and
0: not everybody had is uh, striving for the higher end market. Right. So the first thing I found, I, I'm a marketer. I love marketing and everything. I love the psychology of marketing. It's just, it's a, it's a hobby. It, although it puts money in my pocket every year, it's a hobby. I love sales funnels and conversions and closing and all that. But I first, we, my wife and I, there are seven facilities registered with the state in Tarpon Springs, RELs, right? 10, 12 beds or less uh, of those seven two of the phone numbers on the state website are out of service. Yeah. I'm not kidding. I believe it. So that leaves me five. I called the remaining five. I've never talked to anybody except for at one facility. They actually answered the phone. They said, yeah, come right over. I went over, looked at it, and it was nothing wrong. It was nice. It wasn't high end. I would say it would be more of a, if I had to go like Walmart, Target, Nordstrom, this is more like a mix between Walmart and Target. It was okay, but not amazing. You know, whatever. It was kind of in a forgotten part of forgotten about part of town. It was I would I would call it an industrial area backed up to a marina and boat building facility okay. in town. So not exciting. You look across the street, you see broken down boats. Not a place I would want my mom to wake up and look out the window and go, "I'm just happy to be alive." No. Yeah. Um they were charging I think it was 20 $2,200 a bed.
2: Okay.
0: And the first thing I, my, so that was my first takeaway. Number one, no, people aren't even answering the phone yeah. to take on new guests. So that makes me wonder. It's like, clearly they don't have any training. They must've gone on this themselves. I started looking into the licensing. They've been licensed for a decade or two. Yeah. Um. And the one place that I did get into had, it was a 10 bed, I think a 12 bed facility. And it had three vacancies, which I found odd because I, everything else I looked at said, people are standing in line to get in. Mm. But I found that it was at first thing, the operator was very nice lady. You don't get me wrong. Very nice, but very much a caregiver, yeah. very much not a business person. Yeah. You know, I'm sure you run into that all the time, but I, she immediately says 2,200, but I can cut you a deal. And I'm thinking, whoa, if you've got three vacancies, my question is why? Yeah. And first of all, number two, don't give me a deal when I haven't asked for one because you're going to give up some level of service. So I I found that fascinating. Uh, Number one, I'm forgetting one, Mike, what am I forgetting? Oh, uh, that she bought a job. Oh yes. That she owned her job. So I asked him like, are you the owner? She's like, yeah, I'm the owner. I'm also the caregiver. And I have this assistant that works with me as a caregiver. And my husband is a nurse and he's the, the controller, whatever that's up for the company like, where is he? Well, he's out getting groceries right now and he's over at Costco and then he's got to do some work on the roof, but you can talk to him later. After that, I was thinking, oh my God, these people have actually owned a job. If when somebody comes to RAL and graduates RAL, we run into that too? Do they wind up? Are they, is that what they're doing? Are they buying a job or are you teaching them to work on the business?
2: Correct. So that, that it's what you're telling me is not shocking besides the fact that that was terrible that she offered you a deal with that. Oh, no. it's
0: like what <laughs> my
2: face is <was> like <gasps> but um but other than that no 80% of this industry is run by uh mom and pop style wow. 80% so what you saw is not uncommon at all we often get people who come to the class who that's exactly who they are and then they say I don't get it. How are you cash flowing 20, 30, 40 grand a month on these homes? What am I doing wrong? I can barely make ends meet and I work in the home every day. And then we show them everything they're doing wrong and they're like, I'm running this completely wrong. They are doing exactly like you said. They're working in the business, not on it. They're the caregiver, the candlestick maker, the cook, the baker. They're wiping the bums. They're doing the tours. They're doing everything. That is the complete antithesis of what we teach. We're showing you how to do it as a professional business owner, being that more passive hands off. Like I visit our homes every other month, and I have one meeting a week with our administrator. And. It like that's what I want to show other people how to do, and it's what we do show other people how to do to the point where Mike, I know you said you're in Colorado. Uh, one of our students is in Colorado, they have 26 properties. Like, there's there's no way that you could run hands-on 26 properties of RAL status. You have to be hands-off, especially if you want to scale to package them up, to sell them to a hedge fund or private equity or something along that you know, line. So It's very, very common in the RAL industry, 80% that are exactly what you said, zero marketing, no website, no sign up front, no nothing. Like there's no way you might even find them. And that's crazy to me. So we do cover a lot of marketing because even silly things like we tell people have a website and they're like, well, duh. And I'm like, no, it's not well done. Like most people don't. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm like, no, you have to do these things. But if you do do them, you are now leaps and bounds above everybody else. And just like you said, if there's seven homes and you're the eighth and you've got a website and brochures and when you, when you call, they answer and we got a tour for you and they welcome you with cookies and a welcome package. It's like, no, duh, they're putting mom in that home. You know, there's no other option.
0: I will say when I toured this facility, it was clean. No, you know i'm a clean freak i just like things clean and neat my wife's anal about making sure things at a spot and everybody looked happy and there was like no blaring television there was television on but ironically nobody was in that room they were all in their in the, the eating oh, area individual yeah. tables playing cards and you know whatever and we dropped in on essentially unannounced she says come over anytime today so it's not like you know they That's brought true. the puppies and kittens out when we were showing up it was a they were doing doing a lot of it right. Obviously, the things we talked about, they weren't. But I found that pretty fascinating. The, the whole thing. One of the things that real estate investors do, I'm sure you realize this, Isabella, is they get sucked into doing it. But they they buy a job. I like the fact that you guys teach. Bring an administrator in. There are steps to doing that, and you guys have done a great job. Mike and I, for those of you listening at home, we took their first level course. Uh, We bought their course. That's not. This is not a sponsored episode by any means. We paid the money, took the course. My wife and I and Mike all took it. Uh, We did it over the holidays. Wondering, I don't have a year to figure this out. Good, you don't need a year. We got through the first, the first, the the free one, and then the paid first version of the paid one. That went very well. We came away with a lot of information. Blown away by the resources. By the way, one of the things I love about the way you guys put things together, and this is how training should be. By the way. The benefit of paying for training is to get things delivered to you in an organized fashion. Because people say, "Well, I can learn all that on YouTube." Yes, you could, but you, you, everything that you can learn from any real estate course, including my coaching programs from the past, yours—it's all available for online for free. The catch is, you have to invest the time to go find it all, put it in an order, such that it you can actually use the information. Because if you teach me, you're talking about like fixing a car, if you teach me about chrome bumpers when I'm trying to figure out how to make the cars go well by the time I actually get through the YouTube video that teaches me to do the carburetor it's too late I can't wait that long I'll be old and gray so you guys have really done a great job laying things out can we just touch on how the process starts somebody's listened to the episode I want to do this I want to be an operator I love the fact that I'm not going to have to buy a job I can go out I can learn how to bring in my team so that I don't have to do the work there are those people as well, you know, that love the job they have. They want to supplement their income. They would rather do this than in, maybe invest in a syndicate with somebody. Maybe they've got 50 grand sitting around and they're, they're willing to get a business off the ground, or they've got a couple of friends or whatever. And even maybe they don't have any money. Maybe they can cover the cost of training and that's it. How do they get started? What's the first step in that process?
2: For me, always the first step is just deciding like where you're going to do this. So doing that market research and determining what areas you're going to be focused on. Right. There's four ways to do it. So then I always say, be open to opportunity. If land becomes available and it's in the perfect place and everything's perfect, then maybe you are going to do a custom build, right? If one that's existing is for sale in that area, maybe you're going to buy an existing one, or maybe you're going to partner with someone like the two of you, right? Where you guys are going to own the real estate and lease it back to the person who's the operator. So there's a lot of different ways that you can get into it. But first is determining that area, being open to whichever route it takes you doing that renovation or getting the home up and running, hiring your staff, doing the marketing all along the way from day one. I always say. Um, doing that marketing. And then you're doing open homes and you're really filling the home. And Throughout that process, you're working on getting licensed so that hopefully you're licensed by you know your your day one and your opening, and then you're filling it with residents. And really, the staff is being taken care of when you're hiring the manager, they're hiring the caregivers, and setting that up. What it's going to look like, what's the culture, and how are we going to run this property? And using different documents like policies and procedures, and staffing secrets, and menus and schedules, all those things have to be submitted to the state um, for approval. So those are things that you can pay for speed by, you know, paying somebody to get you templated documents of that nature so that you can edit them and get it in a lot faster. But really, it's not A to Z, Getting, getting the property in the right spot, getting your staff, marketing the whole way, working on your license, touring and filling the home. And now you're up and running.
0: And that begins with, so your training, basically soup to nuts covers that. You go through it it's a business in a box. If you're willing you'd be invest, make an, make an investment of time first, go through the process, take, probably start out with the free course. I would imagine maybe your blueprint, get through that, get into the, the meat and potatoes of it. From what I'm seeing now that we're on the inside of it is that anything I really need when it comes to support, if you don't offer it, you already have it as a referral partner. In other words, paperwork, compliance, legal help, financing syndicates i mean the resources was off the chain i was well done <laughs> that's what i'm trying to get to well done um i want to talk about one little kind of carve out i think about ada compliance and i know in your in your couple you didn't think one of your dad's books i read he says well that's kind of a misnomer you don't always have to be ada compliant per se because not everybody's broken and decrepit that lives there are they at advanced age of course and it brings me particularly to like a two-story home, for example, in New England, every house is a two-story house. There's no such thing as a ranch house. in in Boston, for example, everything is uh, stairs and the doorways are narrow. Same thing in, like in Key West, every place is small. There are nothing, you can't make something wheelchair accessible because the place was built in 1889. It's never going to happen. Yet your dad's training talks about what he had said during his book anyway. And I'm curious, is this still the case today? You can absolutely still do it with a two story home. As an operator, what do you say to an operator? Like a town, like a place like Florida, or maybe even Arizona. Arizona has a lot of ranch style homes. Florida has a lot of ranch style homes. However, those ranch style homes go for a premium. A four bedroom, two bath ranch style home in St. Petersburg, Florida is a $700,000 purchase before rehab, where a two story because nobody likes climbing steps. You may, get, you may be able to buy the same square foot, same bedroom count. It has stairs. That one's 200 grand less. Yeah. Can you still do it in a community where there's a shortage, right? So there's more more demand than there is supply. Or is it just you really should focus on the single family homes? Any thoughts on that?
2: Or we do have a lot of students with multi-level homes, and most of them have added in elevators or chair lifts. So okay. Comedy and add that in, then I would do that all day. We've got a guy in Livingston, New Jersey, who has four-story home because it's technically two stories plus a third and then the basement and he built out the whole basement with like a gym and a movie theater and all this stuff and he's got an elevator that goes to all four and it made a lot of sense for that property but some properties it just doesn't make sense you know especially if there's the northeast is so tricky because there's so many things that are not senior safe about those (laughs) <laughs> it's not just let's put an elevator in. It's like the hallways are itsy bitsy. I mean, yeah. it, it, you can't even barely fit down them. So um, there, there are some tricky things with that, but elevators and chairlifts for, for two story homes. But I would say I don't really care about the cost of the real estate. I've seen our students and us pay full price or overpriced for homes because it doesn't matter. It's the opportunity at the end of it. If the numbers are going to work and it's going to support that, it really doesn't matter what you paid for the property. If you're going to be cash flowing enough to way cover that and still be making a lot more off. Now, if you're not, then of course, no, that's why you have to run the numbers. And I'm sure you guys saw with the uh, uh, course you took, we have like different free tools that you can just plug and play with the numbers, like the profitability calculator, and just see what that would look like. If I was paying 15 grand a month in in the mortgage, am I still going to be cash flowing this way? And if it's showing you you're not, then that's probably not a property that's going to work because- like we said, it doesn't matter what you build. It matters about what the rates are around you. There's a ceiling of what you can charge. So you need to find out what everybody else is charging, how much nicer you're going to be, and then kind of determine what that looks like. You can't just plop a home down and say, we're going to charge 10 grand a month and everyone right. else is charging two or three. Like
0: Right. Yeah. Like I say, no, you're not.
2: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> You'll have no residence, so you have to make sure the numbers work. But ranch style is always preferred. But really, I don't care about the cost of the real estate if the numbers pan out at the end of the day.
0: Fair enough, fair enough. Because I know that when market rent can be subjective, right? Depending depending on who's. If it's a you know if it's a a multifamily, I know that a two one in Clearwater, Florida will rent for this much. Which if it's the numbers two grand, which is really what it is right now, uh, or close to it anyway. That means you can't, to your point, you can't go do a rehab that can only be paid for by a $2,300 month rent if the most the market will bear. So, obviously, there needs to be some, you need to pay attention to how much is this operator going to take in per bed? If market rent in my area for that house is three grand, can I legitimately get six from the operator? And as a real estate investor, you got to know that on the front end. I'm not going to go put a $20,000 generator in a natural gas system and a uh, a new roof and and all these other things on the property that I have to do are back to actually fire suppression. I got a quote on fire suppression, 50 grand. Yeah. It's like, well, I have to capitalize that somehow. How do I get that money back? I have to build that into the cost of the asset. And these are the things that we got to be paying attention to. So that's good information. Yeah. Mike, any other
1: questions before we wrap up? Well, we learned a lot today and oh, you that's know, for you, sure. Uh, Tyler, your experience about uh, a mom and pop operator versus what Isabel's talking about what she's taught us in our classes that we've taken and what her she trains her students for Isabel so if we were going to be leasing or anybody's going to be leasing the property to an operator how do they make sure that they don't find the mama pops who are, you know, charging $1500 a month and just completely falling apart how do we find somebody who has your vision like your students and more importantly your students that have uh, your company's support because yeah, they might be a novice, but as long as they have that, that backbone support, that's what we're looking for. How do we find that?
2: Yeah, in our training, obviously, hopefully everyone is going through is following what we're saying. And so they're going to be running it better. But whoever you're going to be partnering with in this business, whether you're on the landlord side or the operator side, you should be presenting each other, or at least the operator should be presenting that landlord a business plan, showing you what this is going to look like and what they're planning to charge and proving that the market can bear what they're planning and giving you all of that data and research. It shouldn't be pie in the sky. It shouldn't be written on a piece of paper. It should be legitimate because this is a big deal and you want to make sure as the landlord that they can pay for what you're looking for. As far as finding those people, um, we have a a couple free Facebook groups. We also host a national convention every single year. So it's once a year, usually in the fall. And that has like seven to 800 people who come. And that's a great place to kind of network with others in the industry and make partnerships. And we also have our higher level uh, platinum membership where the students are working with our team every single day, hands-on. And there's a lot of great partnerships that happen there. So working with someone who's really on board with us and different indicators will show you that in their business plan, you know, me and and the rest of our team is on their board of advisors. So if someone brings you a business plan and I'm on their board of advisor, they better be legit. (laughs)
0: That's right. I'll be giving you a call. You ever heard of this guy? Harry who? (laughs) Never heard of this guy.
2: (laughs) Give me the call. I'll tell you if they're legit.
0: (laughs) There you go. That was awesome. That was awesome. So those of you, that, thank you so much, first of all, for coming out. I know you're very busy. You got a lot going on, You a lot of moving parts. Love what you're doing. I'm, huge respect for what you guys are putting together, what you guys have done for the industry. I mean, I've looked at lots and lots and lots and lots of training. I normally don't have anybody on the show who does any sort of coaching whatsoever. Uh, well, I shouldn't say that. I have them on the show, but I don't do it without first vetting their training. Because the last thing I ever want is one of my listeners to spend their hard-earned money getting getting into some useless sales funnel that gives them nothing but a credit card bill. And I got to say, as one of your students, you guys are knocking it out of the park. And coming from me, it's it, it's normally I you wouldn't my people listening at home are like, there's no he, he's got to be serious because. I don't pull any punches when it comes to, if your stuff sucks, it sucks. And I'll say it sucks. It's like <laughs> sign here. So you guys have really done a great job. I love what you're doing for the industry. Uh, Mike and I got a ton of information out of your training. Uh, so thank you for what you do for the industry. I hope that folks at home take some action, right? Get over to, I'm going to put your links in the social media context down in the show notes. We want you guys to go over there and check it out. Get on the YouTube channel. You guys are so very transparent, very good at putting out. You give more than you take back. I love that. There is so much that you put out that's free for goodness sake. You're not the only trainer in town. Uh by no means. But I got to say I've vet, I've looked at them all and you guys you guys are killing it. So thank you for what you do for the industry. Mike, any last parting comments?
1: Yeah, Isabel, your energy comes right through. It and does. obviously you're you're passionate about the industry you're passionate mostly uh, about the seniors and uh, like i said my girlfriend works in the same uh, facilities and yeah she comes home and with a big smile on her face you'll never believe the friends i made today <laughs> but that that excitement uh, your excitement coming through really shows that this aspect of real estate cuz let's be honest most of real estate can be pretty boring yes. dealing with tenants plumbers electricians But this is kind of like that softer side. And that's why we wanted to bring you on today to show everybody like real estate investing could be, yes, it's profitable, but it could be fun and honestly can make you feel good inside. A good heart. You make new friends. Uh, I I like older people. (laughs) I'm like an older soul. So I kind of really connect with that, too. So thanks so much for coming today.
2: Thank you guys for having me. I appreciate it.
0: All right, guys. So that's a wrap. There you have it. Uh, You know what to do. Now is the time that you take some action. You get off the couch. Get off your ass. Get to work. This is not going to come to you and knock on your door. You're going to actually have to get off the couch, go on YouTube, learn about as well, go on Instagram, follow on Instagram, go out on Facebook. Get in their into their funnel. Start reading the emails. Take in all that free training. When you think that this is what you want to do and you're ready to pay, pull, pull the trigger and take the plunge, then you opt in. You jump in with both feet. You learn what you need to learn. You learn how to build a team. What have we been saying for 300, and I forgot how many episodes now, 369 episodes, seven years. I've been telling you, and most of you have been listening since day one. Thank you for that. 369 weeks consecutively. I've been telling you one thing, build a team. This opportunity is exactly everything I've been talking about over the last seven years. Build a team, put the right people in place, help them prosper while prospering on your own. Guys, we're going to leave it right there, and we'll catch up with you next week. This concludes today's episode. You don't have to wait till the next episode to learn to earn.